The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus spoke to the crowd, saying, To what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he was a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Bishop Kevin Strickland, a former member of Holy Trinity before he was elected Bishop of the Southeastern Synod, he teaches a Bible exploration class for adults in the Atlanta every year. And on the first day of class, he asks the participants to name their favorite Bible verse. And he says that their answers have never varied over the years that he has worked with them. And so I'll ask you what he asks them every class. Quick, what is your favorite Bible verse? Or what Bible verse have you committed to memory, if any? And I recognize that not everybody has one that's committed to memory, and that's okay. Is it John 3.16? Did I catch you? No? Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or maybe it's, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 23. Or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4. Those are the top three that he gets every year. But in a sermon for the sixth Sunday of Pentecost, he suggests that we should commit today's scripture from Romans to memory. <laughs> You're laughing because you know it. <laughs> I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Who's got that one memorized? <laughs> I do not do what I want, but I do the very things that I hate. It seems to me that of all the verses in the Bible, this one expresses a universal statement of our human dilemma. We are in bondage to sin. We cannot free ourselves. We have tried, but we cannot free ourselves. We are simultaneously saints and sinners. People who want to do good, but don't. People who want to avoid evil, but we can't. I don't know too many people, religious or secular, who cherish the word sin. 
Most people prefer that we don't dwell on it or talk about it at all. But there is someone in our congregation who once told the pastors that we don't talk about sin enough. Or at all. Well, today is your lucky day. Maybe we avoid talking about sin because we're focused on the good news of God's love, and that's a good thing. Or because we associate it with guilt and shame and punishment. And because far too often faith leaders have emphasized certain sins over others based on their political or cultural biases. Some of us in this room grew up hearing and believing that certain sins like dancing or drinking beers or playing cards or having sex before marriage are serious sins always to be avoided at all costs. But then we, we never heard anything about the sinfulness of abusing God's creation or harming our non-Christian neighbors or accruing so much wealth at the expense of others or the racist and sexist and homophobic systems that harm us all. Did you ever hear about those when you were growing up? Ignoring sin, not naming it, and pretending that it doesn't exist does not make it go away. As theologian Barbara Brown Taylor puts it, abandoning the language of sin does not make sin go away. Human beings will continue to experience alienation, defamation, damnation, and death, no matter what we call them. Abandoning the language will simply leave us speechless before them and increase our denial of their presence in our lives. And ironically, it will also weaken the language of grace, since the full impact of forgiveness cannot be felt apart from the full impact of what has been forgiven. You see, we are both beautiful and broken, made in God's image, but enslaved to something that actively wars against our efforts to do good and be good. Sin is not about whether you had an extra donut when you should have had that piece of fruit. It's not about doing a bad thing. It's not about making mistakes. Sin is about that gravitational pull away from God, away from the divine image in whom you are created, away from the goodness, the love, and peace that is the very essence of God. To use the word sin is to understand that we need Jesus to be more than a good role model or a mentor or a life coach. We need Jesus to save us from ourselves and to draw us back toward the one who created us in their image. Lutheran pastor Nadia Bolds Weber puts it this way, no one is climbing a spiritual ladder. We don't continually improve until we are so spiritual that we no longer need God. We die and are made new. But that's different from spiritual self-improvement because we are simultaneously saint and sinner 100% both all the time. Now, when Paul was writing to the Romans, he didn't have a Lutheran concept of saint and sinner in his back pocket. But he was grappling with it daily, fully understanding that he was living in the grace and love made known to him through Jesus, and yet also aware 
that he was not fully living up to the expectation he had for himself as a fully forgiven, redeemed child of God, confessing, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. I imagine that Paul may have been very weary constantly preaching and teaching and being a a model leader to the emerging Christian communities. And I imagine that there were many times that he felt like he was not meeting their expectations or his own. We too know what it's like to live in a weary world, to have our lives burdened with worry, to feel like we're not meeting our own or other people's expectations when we are not doing the things we want, but are doing the very things that we hate, not loving our neighbor fully, not caring for the earth, not honoring the sacredness of all creation. Jesus says in the Gospel reading from Matthew today, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Another great Bible passage to memorize. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice that the offer of a lighter burden is not extended to the powerful and the seemingly self-sufficient. It is offered to the weary and the burdened. It is offered to those who recognize that they just can't make it on their own, no matter how hard they try. It is offered to those who, like Paul, long to be delivered from forces that are too terrible to wield or manage. The promise is offered to you, saint and sinner, to be yoked to the one who sets you free from the burden of worry, from the burden of worrying of being enough, of doing enough, to be good enough. You are enough because through Jesus your sin is forgiven and you are set free to live in a world forever yoked to the one who makes your burden lighter. Thanks be to God. Amen.